Okay, we're doing now Sunday of the portion of Baha'u'llah. So we begin with the verses discussing Aaron lighting, doing the service of the high priest, and this daily lighting of the menorah, of the candelabra in the temple. God spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you kindle the lamps toward the face of the menorah, shall the seven lamps cast light. So when you kindle, so the first thing Rashi says is why are we discussing here the kindling of the menorah? It shouldn't seemingly be in this section. And what we're doing here is connecting it to the previous section, which was all the offerings of the priests, of the princes, of the tribes. But the menorah service took place for the first time on the first of Nisan, which was the same day the first of the inaugural offerings of the princes was brought. To prepare the lamps of the menorah, ours had to take place then before any of the daily offerings were brought. We would think that this obviously occurred before all the offerings of the princes. So you should speak about it first, meaning first we should have discussed these verses, the inauguration of the menorah. And then we would have spoken of the offering of the princes afterwards. So the way it's done here, in other words, that would have been chronologically logical. Torah doesn't have to follow chronology, but we would think it would when it's appropriate, especially because in the last Torah portion, we also discussed the priestly blessings. Right there, in that same section, we're discussing the priestly blessings. It would have been a very appropriate time to discuss the passage about the menorah, but it didn't. Went into the whole section of the princes, which going through 12 days of offering, and then it juxtaposes this section on the priest, the high priest, lighting the menorah. The question is why. So Rashi says, because when Aaron saw the inauguration of the princes, meaning how every day this tremendous contribution offerings made by the princes at the inauguration of the tabernacle, he felt very bad because he and his tribe were a part of this. So God said to him, I, I, I'm swearing to you that what you're doing is greater than what they're doing because you're kindling these lights of the menorah. And the kindling of lights of the menorah is more significant. It's as if the offerings of the princes are comparable to this beautiful banquet that's preceding the inauguration of the king's palace. But the lighting of the menorah is bathing the palace in light, which is the height of its glory. Now the verse says, when you kindle, it's literally in the Hebrew, is when you raise the light. The Rashi says, why do we use the term raise the light instead of saying kindle? Because the flame rises. In other words, we have to kindle, we have to hold a fire to the wick until the flame rises by itself. This phrase, um, that you have to kindle it until the flame rises by itself, is actually a phrase of Lajareva, takes out of context and uses many times, in generally around this time of year, of this portion that this is in general our service to God. We have to inspire somebody else, our students, our children, those that are bring close to God, that they themselves should be that flame rising by themselves. In other words, that they should give and give and give until they have their own ability to maintain themselves. Another 
additional explanation that Rashi is bringing in here that says, when you will raise Bahalos, the first word, teaches us that there was a stairs in front of the menorah, which the priest would stand on to repair the lamp. The verse said, when you kindle the lamps towards the face of the menorah, of the seven lamps cast light. So towards the face of the menorah means towards the middle lamp, meaning the, like the stem of the menorah, which wasn't on the branches, but on the body of the menorah, on the central shaft. In other words, the way the menorah was constructed, it was a central shaft, and then coming out of it on both sides were three and three branches. There was a total of seven lights, three coming from the three branches on the one side, three coming from the three branches on the other, and then the central shaft that had that light, which is, so to speak, the body of the menorah. So towards the face of the menorah, meaning to that central shaft, with that central light, that should be the focal point. So the seven candles cast light, which means the other six lamps, obviously usually in a candelabra, the light is, is designed in such a way that the light should scatter and should fill the room. But here it was designed that all of the wicks were turned towards the middle lamp, meaning the three on the right were going towards the left, the three on the left were going towards the right. We're all facing the center to express the concept that this wasn't because the temple needed light. This was part of God's service. Next verse, and Aaron did so, Aaron did so. Toward the face of the menorah, he kindled its lamps as God had commanded Moses. So Aaron did so with telling the praise of Aaron. Rashi says that he didn't deviate. Of course, we would think he would deviate. Um, so different commentators explain what did Rashi mean by he didn't deviate. Um, so one explanation is he could have, being the high priest, he could have assigned another priest, one of his sons, to do this job because there were sort of menial aspects of preparing the wicks, dealing with the suit, dealing with the oil. But Aaron did it personally. It was so precious to him. Or another way is of understanding is that for this first day when it was offered was the day when two of his sons died, the first day of the inauguration of the temple. We might think of that day he might choose for somebody else to do it, but he didn't. He didn't deviate. Uh, another way of looking at it is that he didn't deviate from his initial fervor in carrying out the commandment, meaning even though every single day for the rest of his life he did this, he did it with the same passion as he did it that first time. He didn't deviate. And this is the workmanship of the menorah, beaten out gold to its base, to its flower. It is beaten out. According to the image that God showed Moses, so did he make the menorah. So this is the workmanship of the menorah. This means pointing to something. So Rashi explains that when God was explaining to Moses how to make the menorah, Moses couldn't fathom it. So this God here pointed, giving him something physical, so to speak, to look at. God was pointing with a finger to it. It's beaten out. So Rashi explains that this word, miksha, means beaten. It was because it was a solid block of gold. And the artisan was pounding it with a hammer and cutting it with a chisel to extend its segments out of the solid block. In other words, normally, and normally something like this would be made, is you'd have each piece made separately and then joined together. 
But God here said, no, from one block, you're going to chisel out this menorah. It says, from its base to its flower. It doesn't say base. It says its thigh. The Rashi explains the thigh is the box-like part above the legs of the menorah, which was hollow, like the silver candelabras of the nobleman. They're saying from its base to its flower, meaning the body of the menorah in its entirety, including everything, all the branches and ornamentations, the base being the largest segments, the flower being the most delicate work. So from its largest part, all the way to the most delicate work, it was all beaten out of this single block. According to the image that God shows, meaning according to the form that we're saying, God showed him on Mount Sinai. So did he make the menorah. So who's the he? You could say, well, whoever made it, made it. So did he, whoever made it, made it. But the Midrash says that the he refers to God. Because, again, God was asking something incredibly difficult here. As we said, normally you don't make something of this degree of intricacy by taking one block of the metal and carving it out. You would make each piece separately and then smelt them together. Here God was asking for this very, very intricate work made from one block, and, and, and they couldn't do it. Moses was like, I, I, we can't do this. So God said, take the gold from which the menorah is to be made, throw it into the fire, and then in the fire, this block took the form of the menorah. I, I there's a modern organization that makes the vessels of the temple. They made a menorah from gold, cost them a million dollars. And they, I heard one of the lecture uh, presentation from their work, and they said they couldn't do this. This biblical concept, this command, you have to take one block of gold and from there carve it out. They said it was just like, it was just impossible. As we're seeing here, it was impossible for a human to do this, so God did it. So those were the verses about the lighting of the menorah. Now we go on to the next section, which is the dedication of the Levim, the Levites. Now, remembering where this is coming from, originally the firstborn son of all the tribes were supposed to serve in the temple. But for various reasons, both because they messed up by the inauguration of the temple, by the I'm sorry, by the giving of the Torah, they weren't properly respectful, and then by the sin of the golden calf, some sinned with it as well, and the Levites emerged from the sin of the golden calf as that tribe most dedicated to God because not one person of the Levites sinned. So now we're making an exchange here, so to speak, which of course we've discussed this exchange earlier in, in two portions of the Midbar. But now we're inaugurating these Levites to be the exchange, to be in lieu of the Jewish people serving God and in lieu of the firstborn that were supposed to be the representatives of the Jewish people serving God. So God speaks to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and purify them. Take them. Now, if you're taking an object, you take it physically. What does it mean to take people? So Rashi says, whenever we have such a concept, Rashi explains that you take them with words. Tell them you're so fortunate, you're going to be privileged to be the attendants of God. So shall you do to them to purify them. Sprinkle upon them the water of purification and let them pass a razor over their entire flesh and let them immerse their garments, and they shall become pure. So we're sprinkling upon them the special water of purification, which means 
the waters that were from the ashes of the red heifer, the red cow, mixed with these special waters, because among those there were those that were impure due to contact with the den, they all had to become completely pure. A razor had to pass, meaning all their hair had to be cut. Now Rashi is, goes according to the literal meaning of the text, but here he's bringing the word of the drash, of the agada, that why do we have to shave all their hair? Because the Levites were now serving in the tabernacle to atone for the firstborn who were originally supposed to be there, but the firstborn, again, committed idolatry with the golden calf, etc. So they lost that privilege. So since they're in the stead of the firstborn, some of who committed idolatry, and idol worship is called sacrifices for the dead, like the Mitzayra, the one who suffers from Tzaras, the spiritual leprosy, which is also considered dead. So therefore, the Levites have to go the shaving procedure just as someone who has Tzaras, this spiritual skin disease, spiritual leprosy, that causes ritual impurity. So just as a person with Tzaras would have to undergo the shaving, since the Levite is in the stead of the firstborn, who could have committed idolatry, which is considered dead-like, like Saras, therefore the Levite also now goes through this shaving procedure. They shall take a young bull and its meal offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second young bull shall you take as a sin offering. So the first young bull is the Ola offering, the offering that's completely burnt up for God. And this offering, this, this offering here, we have this Ola offering, and then the second bowl, which we're saying here is this, one is the sin offering, one is the Ola offering. So the sin offering here is really, again, not brought for them personally, but they're representative of the Jewish people. that They're now being offered up to God, as those will serve God in the stead of the Jews. So it's to atone for the Jewish people for the transgression of idolatry. In other words, the only time when the Torah says a bull should be the Ola offering, without other animals as an Ola offering, is when the community unintentionally committed idolatry. So that's how we're coming to this place of saying that this bull offering is for idolatry. Who's idolatry? The Jews, the Levites into idolatry. No, but some of the Jews had and they're in their stead, so therefore they're giving this sacrifice to atone for idolatry. Now this second offering is called a second, the second parsheni, the second bull. Why is it referred to as a second? To tell us that just as the first one where we explicitly see it's an ola, it's completely burnt up for God, so, so too, this second one also, even though we're viewing it as a sin offering, which normally would not be completely burnt, but this also is completely burnt, the second, just like the first. 